I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Oh, God. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome everybody, to IntroVets podcast. I don't know what that was. That's a keeper right there is oh, what that was. Sounds like somebody stepped on me. JJ and I are back here with Dr. Baker again. Dr. Baker is a clinical pathologist who we talked uh, with last episode where we went over some cases. And she's going to join us again for our snack-sized episode for us to talk about a, well, we'll call it a a, a ClinPath potpourri. <laughs> Just a nice assortment of topics. I like it. Dr. Baker, thank you for being willing to do a second episode with us. <laughs> of course. You act like it's painful. That I it. mean, you know. <laughs> no. No. So, I'm happy to be back. So one thing that I have this not on um, the list of approved questions, but um, just right <laughs> out of the gate, I would like to go back and revisit the name of your telecytology consultation business, Pocket Pathologist, because that makes me really happy. And then I was thinking, like, telecytology consultation. Now, does that mean that I, as a vet, can just, like, send you a case and yep. then you just send it right back? Yep, that's and right. We don't have yep. to go through the whole rigmarole of waiting 10 days or however the heck long it is now. That Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the the service is actually I just launched an app this last week, which I'm super excited oh, wow. about. No, that sounds really like impressive. Official. I wouldn't know how to launch an app. Oh, girl, I didn't yeah. know. How, okay, I I got somebody to help. You paid me. someone to look. got it. Got it. But don't even don't even come at me with that. With you don't wouldn't look at y'all's room. This is amazing setup. Oh yeah, podcast. Sh- 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 no, the, this is our first official. time recording in the podcast closet. closet. Uh, JJ's new house. Yeah, where they, we have beautiful. sound panels and everything. Like it's a professional it's setup in here. Yeah, yeah it's very. My husband's a bit of a uh, perfectionist. perfectionist. Yeah, yeah, like mm-hmm. like I love us. it. Yeah. I love it. It's very official. It's very professional. It That's is. That's how I feel with my app. I feel like it made me like official because I originally was, you know, testing the service out through WhatsApp, where I was having veterinarians send me cases through WhatsApp, and basically. The idea is, is it's, it's static image cytology. So you can take a photo through your microscope, take a series of photos at different objectives. And I know that's easier said than done a lot of times to take a photo through your ocular. So well, there are. Yeah, there's uh-huh. like devices you can click yeah. on there now, right? There are. And there are a couple different. There's actually not that many options. There's one really uh, budget option on Amazon. And then there's one um, from my friend who's a, who's a veterinarian. Shout out to him, Cade Wilson. He created Scoped Micro, which is a, a bells and whistles, really cool adapter. Wow. But you can get an adapter to stabilize it. But yeah, and then you upload the photos to now the app and put in your history and put any questions specific for the pathologist that you might have. And then you'll get a report back. The the There's going to be cases where it's not going to be enough just to see a few images. Yeah. But... It's really good for one for for cases where the owner doesn't have the budget to send in cytology for full review and it's kind of on you to look at and you maybe don't know what you're looking at. You really need some help or you want to make sure that your slide is diagnostic before you send it in or, you know, you just are, have a particular question about one thing and you just need help about like, is this an organism, is this not, that kind of thing. 
Um, so there's a lot of different cases for it, but I've been super excited to provide the service. It's, it seems to be really helping, especially some of our remote veterinarians. Like yeah. I have ones in Alaska mm-hmm. and different places where sending in is just not an option. Yeah. Well, that I think it's fantastic too, just because, well, like you said, rural areas, mm-hmm. but you know, some clinics you work at and they have like a reference lab that comes with a courier a couple times a day and stuff like that. But then there are other ones you go to where like sending something out, first you got to convince the client, then you got to box it up. You got to drive it to the UPS store before it closes, which like mm-hmm. they keep question mark hours. Like it's always, mm-hmm. you know, they keep Hobby Lobby hours is what it is. Like <laughs> ain't never open. Okay. And then... You know, it's just a whole rigmarole. So I think yeah. that's a great thing. And mm-hmm. then also to have it be like, like, what what's your turnaround time? Girl, you are guaranteed a same day response if you submit. Oh, <laughs> sign me up. If, Let's go. Well, if, if you submit before 4 p.m. Central Time, which I feel like is a good amount of time. That's plenty of, you, of time. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was I was hoping that you would say that was good. Hell yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And right now I'm not doing like after hours or weekend options, but that's something that's coming. I actually was doing that before, but with the app launch, it's honestly a technical thing. Like I just need to get with my app developers to make that an option. But yeah, it's, it's business hours, you know, before four, if you submit, then I'll respond right now. It's just me. Um, but, uh, with time I'll add other pathologists to help. That's so awesome. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm glad you think so. I mean, yeah. honestly, I, I I created this because I see how often veterinarians cannot send in psychology, but mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable looking at psychology themselves. And there's just no middle ground. Like there's, I mean, there are some other, I don't want to say that I invented this because I didn't by any means. This is something that's used in human medicine already. Yeah. Uh, as far as they call it rapid onsite evaluation rows. So Anyway, this is a, a a methodology that's used in human medicine already and in veterinary medicine. Some some schools and companies offer this as sort of as a an alternative option, but yeah. none of them have an app. <laughs> no, I mean, so one of the things can't believe I'm going to say this. One of the things that I miss about veterinary school, I, there's not many, but was the ability to walk down the hallway and be like. Hey, uh, ClinPath, look, man, we got this real weird one. Can y'all, like, bump that one to the front of the line? Or can I come and see what you were seeing and that sort of thing? Because, you know, oh. at, at the end of the day or whatever, and you need, like, a, a you know oncology case or a medicine case or something really weird is going on, they were just literally down the hall, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. and I could just hop, skip, and jump into the office and be like, "Here I am," you know. And <laughs> we're gonna we look at the slide with me. So anyway, yeah. that yeah. that part it's would be nice. Cool. It's nice to have that that quick result because I mean, I had one uh, submitted to me just the other day where it was a veterinarian that lived in a, a rural area in the United States, and the closest specialty hospital to them was three hours away, and it was during a snowstorm, oh, and no. they were concerned that this dog might have leukemia based on what they were seeing on their blood smear. And they wanted to know if it really was concerning or not, you know, for that, bef- like before they a euthanize the dog or refer to whatever they plan to do. Yeah. And so they sent me some images and said like, is this what we think it is? And it wasn't, it, I, it was, I was suspicious that it was actually going to end up being an IMHA case, mm-hmm. but it's certainly what the cells that they were concerned about were not concerning cells. So they were, 
it was it was it was just super fulfilling to me because they, their response was, "This is great because now we feel comfortable referring them because we don't have like a death sentence diagnosis. We don't know exactly what it is just yet, but we know that what we were concerned about isn't the case, and we feel comfortable sending them for a referral. And you know, we didn't want them to drive super long, like if it was just to get there and realize he had something horrible yeah. right off the bat. So just being able to be involved like a little quicker and more intimately with cases is is a lot of fun for me. And I feel, you know, glad to be able to help veterinarians in those situations. Absolutely. You better get some free advertising. I know. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) Now there's one other, I'm going to call, what what do you say? Service that you run? Veterinary schoolhouse, cytology schoolhouse. Yeah. I'm, that's actually how I knew who you were to send you an email to be like, will you be on our podcast? Because (laughs) I think I just joined it. Uh, there's, there's a Facebook group, I mm-hmm. think, that started out uh, that way. And then... Yeah. Um, the Cytology Coffee House. Yeah, that mm-hmm. one. The Coffee House Cytology Group, I think. There's a lot of where, houses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway, will you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So I... Yeah. So the, the Cytology Coffee House is the Facebook group. I started that years ago, really with just the main goal being to teach and to share cytology. And I, I love teaching and I missed it. I was in a diagnostic role where I didn't get to do any teaching and I was seeing all these cool things and I wanted to share them. So I, that was the whole idea behind the the coffee house group. And it's been just such a cool place to share cases and for people to talk about, you know, with the, with the idea of, of it being about learning, you know, it's that, that space is not a, a diagnostic space in the sense that it's not meant for the type of consultations that I now offer through pocket pathologists in a more formal way. So really just kind of fostering that, like, look at these interesting cases, talking about um, different cytology topics. And over time with that, people started asking me if I offered formal CE and I didn't, I mean, I have two young kids. Like I, I had a full-time job at that point, like where I was like, Oh, (laughs) that sounds really fun, but I have no idea when I would do that. Right. But it just kept on nagging at me because I thought I really want to do that. People are asking me. And I think that it's clearly that these veterinarians and veterinary technicians want a resource for learning more about cytology. So absolutely. I spent my evenings and weekends working on my courses and uh, now offer online courses through my website, which is the schoolhouse. So veterinary psychology schoolhouse. And that's where I have my courses. And then people were asking for other things. So now I have an online uh, monthly membership. And then I also have a bunch of free resources and cool stuff on there as well. So that's sort of the main hub of all the continued education piece of what I do. And that's actually what I do full time now. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I just love that I can spend my days creating educational stuff for that professionals that I know like this is going to sound like I, I'm being 100% serious that is living the dream right there for me you know I mean I know not wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea okay right but like you know kind of nerdy you know I like to do that type of stuff Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah but so Dr. Baker in in general practice are there things that we can do as veterinarians or veterinary staff members that will help make the clinical pathologist's job easier, that help us get more accurate results and and things like that? Yes. Yeah. So that's a great question. Yes, (laughs) there are. And so I'm glad you asked. So I think the most 
obvious one, but one that isn't always done is uh, completely filling out your submission form. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Right. And so I'll give you, I feel like I can say that, but I can give some examples on why that's important just to drive that point home. So the submission form, you know, is going to vary depending on what lab you're using, but usually the information is similar that we're asking for. And the, you know, even as, as simple as knowing, you know, is this a specific breed? Because there are some pathologies that more commonly affect certain breeds. So like, for example, if I have a blood smear from a dog and I see that it's thrombocytopenic and it has large platelets in its blood smear, large platelets are going to come out of, of into circulation in response to thrombo, like pathologic thrombocytopenia. So if you have a patient that has thrombocytopenia, the big platelets are normal to come out as a regenerative response. But if I knew that this was a cavalier, mm-hmm. then a cavalier King Charles Spaniel, I would then realize that more than likely, this is a breed-related genetic thing. It's called hereditary macrothrombocytopenia, and it's more common in... <laughs> Have you heard of it? No. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad. I don't because think I... so. I mean... No. Don't feel bad because at one point, but it's gone. Uh, no, no, well, no, no. I like when people don't know because it makes me feel like I can teach. Something. Okay, yeah, so, I'm ready. Like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So a lot of and it's it's a common thing for a lot of veterinarians don't know about it. I think and it's a it's something that's common enough in cavaliers in particular that it is important to know about because if you have a cavalier come in that is perfectly healthy looking dog, totally normal, and you see that it has a thrombocytopenia, then it would be very obviously alarming. Like you need to do something about that, work it up and uh, come to find out it's a, it's a normal thing for normal is not the right word. It's a, it's a genetic non-pathologic condition that they can have. So they actually don't have any bleeding issues They're They live with that forever and they're totally fine. But if the veterinarian doesn't know about it, then, you know, but it's okay if the veterinarian doesn't know about it because the pathologist will tell them, we will tell you. But we can't tell you that unless you tell us it's a cavalier. Sure. <laughs> so, so even something as simple as that. Um, but even you know, getting farther down in the submission form with things like history and especially location. So, something I sometimes hear people say is, "Well, I was told at some point not to give the pathologist too much information because it might bias them." What? <laughs> That's very uh, common. That's what? Okay, yeah, I, I never heard that one. <laughs> oh. I'm glad that nobody has told you that well, because it's not, look, not I, good. I, though, I try to err on giving the most info to the point that, okay, let me tell you a story, okay? <laughs> the other Dr. Grider in mm-hmm. Alabama, uh, my, my very cool colleague, said, you know, one time to me, you know, if you send in a histopath sample and you attach a photo of the mass on the animal, it's like you just sent that that pathologist a bouquet of flowers, you know? They get so excited about it. And I'm like, that's great. You know, I've never seen the option to attach a photo. How are you doing it? And he's like, well, I'm sending it, you know, to Auburn, so I just shoot him an email with it. So I'm like, I'm going to start doing that, right? But then unnamed reference laboratory, I was like, hey, look, I really want to send you a photo of the mass because, you know, I know how important that is and everything like that. And they were just like, you can't. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't, I was like, can I send you an email? They were like, we don't really have an email. Oh my. You, can't, you can't really contact. We don't know which pathologist it'll be. So I just oh. was like, are you kidding me? So anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's a technology piece that, you know, that's just a very small thing that should probably be <laughs> right. changed. That seems easy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. anyway, okay, yeah. sorry, sidebar over. No, I that's just wanted okay. to tell you that. <laughs> that's a great point, though, because a lot of pathologists really do like getting pictures of the, I mean, there's no reason why pathologists would not want a picture. They may may or sure. may not need it. It may or may not make a difference, but it also might. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if I have something that I'm looking at cytology and I think, oh, you know, there's a couple of different things that can do this. And one might be, you know, a vaccine hypersensitivity reaction. But then I see a picture of a mass that's the size of a cantaloupe. And I think, no, that's (laughs) not what that is, right? you know, but all that said, we don't necessarily always need a photo. If we have a good description, if you describe on your, on your paper, this is the size of a cantaloupe. I'm, you know, that's the thing is I think there's just a lot of uh, confusion about, I don't think that we're taught a lot in veterinary school and veterinary technician school about cytology about the limitations of cytology, how so many things can look very similarly and that we need to take the, all the clues into consideration in some cases. Mm-hmm. It's a super valuable diagnostic. It's not going to give us the answer every single time, just like radiographs don't always or blood work doesn't always give us the straight up answer. But it can be, a, it, it can, it can also give us a straight up answer. I definitely would not do this job if, if it was not <laughs> ever definitive. That yeah. would be super boring. But being able to take in like the clues of all of the case as a whole can really make a difference in how we interpret things. And so getting that um, information on the on the submission form, not only complete signalment, knowing what kind of medications are on, we do not necessarily need to know like doses or that they were on. I mean, if you told me a dose, I wouldn't even know. Like, (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, I glaze right over that because I just don't do doses anymore. But if I'm if you have a case that maybe you're concerned that the dog has lymphoma and I know that he's already on prednisone, that can affect how the cytology looks. So that's important yeah. for me to know. I don't need to know that he, you know, had an allergic reaction to a bee when he was a puppy and now he's a, you know, 15 year old dog with a mass on it, you know, on his chest, like relevant clinical history. Of course, you guys are busy. I understand that, you know, but it is really important to just be completely, completely as thorough as you can with those forms. And if you do have staff filling out those forms, which a lot of veterinarians are having staff fill out the forms, which is a, is great. It's a good use of, you know, it's efficient, but make sure that the staff is filling out the forms because ultimately, and I hate to be a hardball about this, it's the veterinarian's responsibility to make sure that that com- you know, communication yeah. is, is happening. A lot of times we can give information without a complete history, but there are some cases where it makes, it makes a difference. Also, Sorry, I will say, as an example of this, I had a case where it was an animal that was a sample that was sent in on a Friday afternoon, and it was described as thoracic mass. I'm remembering that right. No, no, sorry, abdominal mass. Abdominal mass. And um, I looked at it and I was like, holy moly, look at this inflammation and bacteria everywhere. This is just like marked. I mean, this looks like an abscess. Yeah. You know, it's just chock full of bacteria and neutrophils and it was like three o'clock on a friday and it it was this abdominal mass and you know i'm thinking they probably want to know about this you know i don't know if they want to let this sit over the weekend i don't know i'm worried about just sending this report and it just ending up on their fax machine over the weekend so i 
I called and I said, Hey, I just want to let you know, like, this is an abscess, you know, and I, and, I remember, and she was actually a friend of mine. Like I, I taught her at, when I was a resident. So she was like a little confused. Like I could hear in her voice. She was thinking, why is she calling me about this? You know, kind of, yeah. And come to find out it was a mass on the dog's abdomen. Like a subcutaneous a Subcutaneous mass. little, yeah, just a little skin. It's a, it's a pretty a big difference. Because I was thinking, like, oh man, that dog is going to have like peritonitis or something. Like, that <laughs> right. is bad. I was exactly, and they aspirated, which, you know, I was worried it was going to, yeah. So just being very clear. Yeah. That, um, that is a big difference between those two things. That's mm-hmm. absolutely, that is frustrating. Mm-hmm. Gosh, gosh. Well, I, I just want to like back up a couple steps here. Though you, you called someone and were like, hey, you I know did. it's a Friday afternoon thing. Like that's, I did. that is, thank you for doing that. Because sometimes I will on a Monday morning or Tuesday or whatever, you know, pull a, a thing off of the fax machine that's like, no, holy shit, yeah. you know, like what yeah. the fuck or whatever. Right. <laughs> like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got to get these people on the phone right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully the dog's still alive. Yeah, I know. I mean, well, it's, it's how it works. Sometimes patients are really good at being like, I'm not that sick. And then mm-hmm. they're like, secretly super really super bad sick and then other times like maybe they are in the hospital and stuff but you know like it's the weekend they're going to be at the local er you know there's you know limited even more limited diagnostic ability at the er than in general practice and people don't think about that or they they maybe have a misconception about that so like you calling allows them to then do something and not let it sit for days. Mm-hmm. So thank you yeah. for doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even though I mean, it was it... just a subcutaneous mass. <laughs> right. <laughs> if it had <laughs> truly been an abdominal mass, then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I have a perspective of what the, what the practitioner, what y'all's life is like just because of my husband being yeah. one. So I, I, I don't know. And I don't know that I know you need that. There are lots of pathologists that will call, but it, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I know, I don't know. I know that it's a real pet and a real, and, and you guys are doing the best you can to, to, to serve them. And if I'm not willing to make a 30 second call to make sure that you're covering all your bases, then I don't know. It doesn't feel good. Well, thank <laughs> you for doing that. Yeah, that absolutely. is, I mean, that's super cool. I've never, ever encountered that before. Like mm-hmm. no one has ever called me mm-hmm. about. Yeah. So that, that would, it would have been awesome. So, Dr. Baker, how can veterinarians and their staff improve their in-house cytology skills? First would be getting education on how to do good aspirates and, and prepare your slides in a way that is most likely to be diagnostic. And so if I were listening to this, I'd probably be thinking, how is that, Dr. Baker? <laughs> <laughs> so I won't leave you hanging. Uh, there, I mean, we, we of course can't go through all the like scenarios of aspirating different things, but just in general, one of the things that I like to do when I'm aspirating, well, first of all, I don't aspirate anything anymore. I just get the samples. But when I'm trying to help people learn how to do better aspirates, say you have a skin mass, I like to use the, or like a lymph node. I like to use the woodpecker technique. So mm-hmm. um, where you take the needle without the syringe attached and mm-hmm. you put it into the mass. You redirect it several times within the mass without pulling the needle out. And then, you know, if you start to see blood come into the hub, then you go ahead and remove it. Just, it's not that it's a bad sample at that point. It just, you don't want to keep on if there's blood. 
um, and then reattach the syringe filled with air and spray that onto the slide. And you can use like aspiration, like actual suction on some masses that maybe don't feel like they're exfoliating cells very well. But what happens with most cases, most masses are probably going to give you some cellular material without like having to apply that suction. And um, when you aren't applying the suction, you're more likely to have intact cells. So said another way, if you apply that suction that has the tendency to lyse cells, it doesn't mean that it's always going to, but it just increased chance. So then you spray the, the sample on the slide and there are multiple different ways that you can actually prepare that sample. So when I say that, I mean, you know, preparing it to the point where then you're going to evaluate it under the microscope. So sometimes people will just spray the sample on the slide and not do anything to it. They just let it dry. That I would never recommend. If you've done that, totally okay. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Doesn't mean you're bad. If you've um, gotten diagnostic results off of it, that's awesome too. But most of the time, in my experience, when I just have that spray preparation, they're in these big globs and I can't mm-hmm. tell what the hell's going on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cells are all piled up on top of each other. I can see that there are cells in there, but I don't know what they are. And I feel really bad because then I can't give much information. The, the preparation method that I like the most is the, what I call the two slide gentle smearing technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a lot of books, you'll hear it described as a squash technique. I don't love to use that word, mm-hmm. not because I'm just trying to be like <laughs> a rebel. Yeah. But if, I don't know. I just think about squash. You know, you hear the word squash and you're like, I'm just going to yeah. press down really hard. <clears throat> right. Right. And squash all the cells. I don't want anything squashed. But uh, just spraying your sl- sample on the slide, taking another slide, putting it perpendicular to that, to that sample, you know, this, the downslide, and just gently moving it in a, in a singular motion across. Key being is that you don't put any added downward pressure on that sample because if you push down, then you have more lice cells and in cytology we don't like lice cells because then we can't interpret them Hmm. so um one other common technique that some people listening might use is taking the slide you know spraying the sample on the slide taking another slide and lowering it down onto the sample and then lifting it directly back up you know just straight back up and it gives this kind of like flowery looking pattern I don't personally love that technique because I think what happens is you get a lot of thick areas and then you get areas that the cells are kind of not super intact. You can definitely get diagnostic samples that way. And a lot of people are taught to do it that way. And so it's not a wrong technique. I just feel like in my experience, that technique is a little less likely to give you diagnostic results than just smearing it. But you don't have to choose. You can do multiple <laughs> preparation <laughs> techniques. If you're sending slides into a pathologist, you can do a smear. You can do one like that if that's the way you like to do it, or you just put it down and lift it right back up. Do a variety. Yeah. You know, nobody says you have to choose one. What about the, like a starfish technique? Oh, with like a starfish. needle? You keep those needles away from my cells. No. <laughs> no starfishing. <laughs> Another way that uh, that people have been taught, so again, not anything wrong if you've done it or if that's how you're doing it, but I would encourage you to try a different way just because the starfish technique is where you spray the sample on the slide and then you take a needle and you scratch it all around or you or if you can scratch it kind of like a star shape. And right, is that what you got what you're thinking of when you're thinking of starfish? Because people use different words for different things. Yes. That is With what I needle. was thinking of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what happens then a lot of times is that you get 
all lice cells, so broken cells where the needle ran through, mm. and then the areas where it didn't run through, it's just super thick. Too thick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's not one I love. Not one I love. No hate, though. No, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I do what I get inspiration to do in the moment. <laughs> I would say <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> Most like of the time, I I would do a squash prep, like yeah, the best majority of the time. Do yeah, but okay, I went to this Clean Path um, wet lab. All right, now it's been a minute ago. Okay, it might have been, it might have even been a decade ago. You can point. just say you can just say the other day, mm-hmm. and it been it applies minute. to everything. <laughs> um, where they they taught the starfish as you know an option, like not this is the one way to do it, but like here is yeah. another option you could do, and then. Yeah. Sometimes I will use that one if, like, I don't know, if the sample if the sample has a certain look to it. I don't know how else to describe it. But it's like, it's not super thick, and it's not a whole bunch of material. And then I'm just like, well, maybe I'll just do a little. So I'll, well, I'll I, I, maybe avoid that. I can, I can understand that. But I'll tell you, even if you don't have a lot of material, you yeah. just still can smear. Even if you can't even see it. I mean, you just still do that, that okay. squash prep or that smearing technique. You just you just have your technician grab that needle right out of your hand. Yeah. Now, does, say, it, do it. does it make clinical pathologists mad when uh, you open a box for a mass uh, and there's like six slides in there to look at instead of just oh, one? Oh, no. Oh no! Oh, oh good no. because Six? I'm always like, we're. It doesn't matter how many slides we send. No. Like send them all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we're Six do is seven nothing. Slides. I've had submissions where I've gotten like thirty slides, and that's when I'm. Oh, like, that's mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. This is too many. I can tell you that that the, the unnamed national reference laboratories do limit you to six yeah. per site. Yeah, six is fine, <laughs> and I six always send the maximum. You, hey, it's okay. Do you remember? I'm not going to give any clues. Yeah, yeah. It it was a dog. Okay. And it it had multiple, like it was a a double visit to do all of the needle aspirates. Yes. Yeah. Oh. You yeah, remember, remember that? Yeah. I remember. And how many slides? Like that was. Yeah, we that did. Was upwards we of basically made a, a body map on that dog, and we had to aspirate. You know, get a couple of samples from each mass. And there yeah. were probably, I don't know, 20 masses. Uh-huh. That's what I was saying. There's probably long, 40 or 50 slides. Yes, I do remember that, JJ. So Ugh. one pathologist just had that dog as their <laughs> their work that day. Exactly. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Not I mean, another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I honestly, I prefer to get more than not enough. Because if I get one slide, I am like, oh man they've put all of their beans in this basket like Mm -hmm. hopefully this is a diagnostic slide you know and there are cases where i look at one or two slides and they have all lice cells or there's just not enough on there and then i'll look at the next two and they're much more diagnostic so i would say i get asked this a lot like how many should we send in i would say not one unless that's all you get i mean if all you get is one but really you should have two right because you're smearing so you should have mm-hmm. material oh, mm-hmm. so you can send in both oh yeah sides yeah. of the squash prep yeah yeah the i okay. mean the smearing the smearing slide will usually have more lysed cells just because of physics like for whatever reason the the one that you use to smear will have more lysed cells on it mm-hmm. 
but you definitely can send that in for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all cellular material. I would shoot between like three and six, you know, as on a, unless it's a bone marrow, which I know a lot of practitioners are not doing bone marrows, but if you do those, those are one exception that we actually like like 15 to 20 slides. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I'm doing that squash prep, I always, I see, I don't know why. I don't know if anyone ever even told me that. I think I just made it up, but I was like, you oh, you can't it. send in the top one. You can't like, <laughs> like, I don't know why. <laughs> so I've been living by that rule needlessly. No. But what I do with the top one, though, before the slides leave the clinic is I stain it yes. and I look and That's I'm what like, I was hoping you're going to say, let's look and make sure that. We're giving the pathologist something to look at. Yep. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Because I was hoping that's what you'd say, because that's that's wise. Because, I mean, if you're, you know, if you've got nothing on there, mm-hmm. then and you could go ahead and stain the others, too. You can send in stained slides. You can't? Right? Oh, okay. You can. so I've yeah, gotten, no. I have gotten negative feedback about that. Right. I know you can well, send in stainless, but you can't send any with oil. We pref- okay. I'll, let me clarify. Okay. We, pref- we prefer that the that the majority are unstained. Gotcha. If not all of them. But what we like is, I mean, we we like when you guys take a look in-house at, at, a, at a slide. And usually people will choose that slide they use to smear because it's usually of less diagnostic quality. So if you're looking in-house at that one and you can kind of go, okay, it looks like there's some cells on here, so we're good. You can go ahead and send that one in too. We actually like if you send in the one that you looked at, because if you did happen to get the most diagnostic, if you happen to pick the one that was most diagnostic, and then you send the rest to us and they're all, un- you know, you didn't look at them because we don't want you to stain them all. And then we look at them and then we're like, mm, there's not really anything diagnostic on here. And then what happens is you go, you call and you're like, well, Hey, I saw this, this, and this on my slide. And I'm like, well, I don't have that slide, you know, and then you have to mail it in and it just takes longer. So that scenario doesn't come up all that often, but basically you can, you can send in the slide that you stain. We don't like you to go ahead and stain them all. We prefer the most unstained. But you can st- you can send it stained and you can send it after it's had oil on it. You can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What That's do good. you do to take the oil off? Nothing? The lab, the lab technologist will they remove will. it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. How does that work? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> That's interesting. Now, is it true that if you're sending in some stained slides and some unstained slides that they need to be sent in separate containers? Mm-mm. That part's not. Okay. Mm-mm, no, I don't know where I picked no, that up go. either. No what idea. you might be thinking of, and maybe I'm wrong, but um, you don't want to send. So you never want cytology to get anywhere near formalin. Mm-hmm. So if you're sending in cytology slides and a biopsy of something, then you have to just be really careful because even formalin fumes can damage cytology. Mm-hmm. So, I bet that is what someone told yeah, me in my brain. To send them separately. Tur- like morphed it into the slide thing. Mm-hmm. I, bet, yeah, I bet that is I bet what it was. it was. Because we do, I mean, in an ideal world, you would send them separately. You wouldn't put them in the same box. Now, we don't always live in the ideal world. And I know people don't, you know, it's like double postage and all that stuff. So if you're going to send them together, which most people do, just make sure that the cytology slides are are protected from the fumes as much as possible, like triple bagging them, that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. in our snack episode today triggering is one of my one of Uh-oh. my ninjas like pet peeves, Rawr. which is proper microscope care. Yes. This is a hot topic. So Dr. Baker, it, it should should a chem wipe ever come near the lens of your microscope? 
Hmm. Really, no. <laughs> Listen, I'm not. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Can we arguments I've gotten into with people about <laughs> that? Uh, uh, Lynn's paper not, is I'm very not... economical. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Lynn's paper is what you should use. I am going to just go ahead and, and put it all out there. All right. And say, I have used Kim Wipes. Oh, girl, I have too. I yeah, because it was the only thing we had. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave that or a paper towel. If it's between that or leaving the oil on the objective, I guess I would choose a cam wipe. But yeah, don't use a Brillo pad. No. Yeah, we we really we like lens paper because it's made for lenses and it won't scratch them. And the Kim wipes have the potential over time to scratch the lenses and cause them to to be scratched. So no, we don't we don't we like lens paper. We should use lens paper. Yeah. Bless you. Yeah, and the oil thing, I know that that's a whole a mm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a whole thing. If you get oil in a 40X objective, it's so hard to get out. Mm-hmm. And I've done it. I've dragged my own 40X through my oil on, yeah. on accident what, before. And what it's do so, you do? I don't, I don't, I take the objective off and I get a Q-tip mm-hmm. in there and try to, Yep. and then I call the microscope maintenance call guy. Call the microscope say, guy. I, I, I can't, it. I can't get this out of here. And then they come try to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had decent luck now the microscope repairman is gonna like call and be like no (laughs) but i've had decent luck using a little uh lens paper in a little alcohol yeah and like and that'll kind of get it off but yeah yeah, it's like that the high dry is just never the same after that Mm -hmm. it's one thing to drag it through but when you got folks that just use the high dry in the oil because they they think that's the right no objective and i'm like now, look, what? that is a failure of management at that clinic <laughs> to proper. They have been they have not properly been trained on microscope. Well, Sorry, we could have a whole episode um, about that. It's going to be real hard to fix that, given I, I'm just going to be quiet. Like, <laughs> to edit that part out. <laughs> so we'll just edit that part out. Now, as far as how often should you uh, clean the microscope? Oh, like how often like, should you clean the oil off of the Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, every time you use it. Every time you use it. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Put the lens paper beside the microscope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. So for me, I mean, when I'm using my microscope all day long, I don't clean it off every time because I'm I'm doing, you know, well, not anymore. But when I was working in a high volume reference lab, I was reading 60 cases a day. So it's just constant, you know, Mm -hmm. constant use. But yeah, if you're if you're walking away from it, turn the light off and wipe off the the objective and get the the oil off and it just takes a second i mean just you know at least do a swipe of the, of it to get to get the oil off but i also recommend it, that a lot of people don't do or maybe i shouldn't say something so generalized cuz i don't really know but i suspect a lot of clinics don't invest in is yearly microscope maintenance so having your maintenance your microscope maintenance person come out do a full clean it's like taking care of your car you know, having them take all the pieces off. My microscope maintenance guy was always really horrified how many crumbs were in and around the <laughs> microscope. It's always very embarrassing, which uh, I think yeah. is probably not good for me to even say out loud because people might be thinking, why are you eating, you know, by like biological? I'm like it's already dried on a slide and I'm not like literally touching the sample and then eating my sandwich. But I, <laughs> you know, I, look, busy. I get it. Sales and busy. snacks. The, Busy. If yeah. you took apart my laptop, okay, the amount. <laughs> yeah, same. 
of crumbs and fur that was in my laptop when Carl took it apart the other day because it wasn't working right. Oh, no. I was like, that's a little bit yeah. excessive. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, this might have some droop of oil. It's not working right. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Anyway. If I bring food into this general... Now, he eats in here. But if I bring food in here, why you got food in here? Ben is very neat all the time and would never drop crumbs, JJ. Probably not. I'm very messy. And <laughs> the time that I came home or came back to work from after vacation and I... I'm telling you guys, this is a really, this is gross. I was using, I was using my microscope. I was back from vacation. I've been gone for like, I don't know, 10 days. And I was, you know, doing the objectives. I was uh, fine focusing. And I'm telling you the truth. I felt crawling on my hand and I looked down and there were ants all over. No! My hand. <laughs> no, no. Yep. And I was like, what the hell? Where are those coming from? First of all, I, of course, freaked out, you know, shook my hand, ants are flying everywhere. And I look and there was a, like a big crumb, like a, you know, a solid crumb that had landed in on my microscope stage (laughs) in the back. (laughs) And it, and there was just a anthill of ants on it mm. oh wow yeah it was horrifying i'm so sorry that that <laughs> happened but i completely like empathize with that yeah. and and could imagine a similar scenario happening in my life if that makes you feel better because <laughs> we're busy veterinarians like, got a multitask. <laughs> exactly i didn't have time to go take a lunch i'm like eating while i'm working <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah now uh so one thing that i did want to mention that i think a lot of people don't know is that it can be damaging to your um, oil immersion lens if you leave it sitting in oil, like with a slide under yeah. it. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it hits a little bit of a limit of my microscope knowledge, what would happen to it. I mean, I personally have not seen the effects of that because I have not worked in a clinic like the way you guys do. So I had my own microscope that was sitting in oil all day long because I was constantly using it but of course when i was away from my desk like i would clean it off and and uh and leave it clean Mm -hmm. except for my stage of course with crumbs but (laughs) as far as sitting in oil i mean i yeah i i think it could damage it i don't know the specifics of what it would do a microscope maintenance person would know Mm -hmm. (laughs) call call lawrence yeah yeah, tell Lawrence to tell. He should be your next guest. <laughs> he should be. For he real. should be. That'd be interesting. <laughs> That's a good idea. Let's write that down. I know, right? I don't know where he is now. He got promoted, so he's floating around. But I don't know. I mean, uh, if I had a, a two dollars and fifty two cents from that for, for every time that I would go walking down the hall and there's a microscope, high dry, sitting in the oil. And the light turned as far as it'll go. And the microscope mm-hmm. is like, it, it. you touch and it's like, ah. Like it's like vibrating. And I'm like, <laughs> how many hours has this been like this? Because now, yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can't be good. It can't be good for, for a, a precise machine, you know, a very precise tool. Just bake the high dry with oil on it. Right. <laughs> like a potato chip. I mean, like, there, it wouldn't surprise me if there was like burn marks on it or something somewhere. Because I was like, what? What is going on? Oh, boy. I appreciate your dedication to keeping, uh, <laughs> keeping your microscope safe because it, it is a it's an expensive. I mean, it's an expensive tool in your practice. Mm-hmm. And the bad thing about, you know, all of this is that 
if you're not taking care of it, it's not useful. Like it, yeah. you can't see anything. And that's the whole point of having, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. not like the abuse that it'll suffer will just be like, not a big deal. It'll make, it'll render it ineffective. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. And most practices aren't going to be super keen on buying a new one pretty often. Because they're expensive. They are. Like a good microscope is. So you have to kind of work How with many? their handicaps of the microscope. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a technician, we use the microscope a heck of a lot. Yeah. And a microscope is what? 5,000? How, how much is a microscope? Depends on how it good one, but yeah, it depends. I mean, five thousand will be the upper tier of like the in clinic microscope. You can get a really, you can get some really decent ones for a couple thousand dollars. Couple thousand yeah. Sometimes, you know, people will try to get ones cheaper than that. You run into to just issues of like quality of, you know, if it's too too cheap. But yeah, yeah several thousand dollars. You want to take care of that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like buying you a tona pen. Like, like, you know how much? Don't drop the tone. How pin. much people protect the tone pin? Like hell, mm-hmm. your microscope is the same price. I bet your precious little wand. Asterisk. <laughs> we have not looked that up, and are not guaranteeing prices. Nope, no, we don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, Doctor Baker, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate mm-hmm. it, and I think this has been a fun series uh, for the listeners. Definitely. If not them, then us. I've had a blast. For sure, yes. At least us, which is the most important part. <laughs> well, me too. This is, you know, every, like, podcast is different, and you guys are great. And I was telling telling you guys when, before we started, you know, I'm actually an introvert, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not shy. There's a misconception, like we were talking about. Uh, and I am social, but I, I'm also an introvert. I also function with uh, a high functioning anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, things that you wouldn't expect from people that are public and like you guys have your podcasts and are public. And I appreciate what you're doing and talking about that and talking to people in the profession. And it's a uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. So thank you for having me. I, I feel like you um, really picked like a great niche for yourself with the introversion mm-hmm. aspect, right? Like, I mean, yep. you, you, you I'm imagining don't have to contend with a large crowd of people uh, nope. throughout the day. <laughs> no, um, I do not. <laughs> so that is mean, wonderful, really mm-hmm. exciting. I get to spend most of my day alone, which for some people would be really horrible. For me, I'm like, yeah, mm, bring it after it. Yeah. During the pandemic, yeah. like when it, um, things were like more aggressive as far as recommendations go, I, everybody was <laughs> freaking out. And I was like, oh, no, like I'm not having no trouble adjusting to this at no. all. Like I am. I don't have to make fine. an excuse not to go out tonight. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like. This is just my normal life. It makes me feel weird <laughs> that you guys are having trouble with what I do. And I was like, now you see how we feel when we are forced to go <laughs> out right. with a bunch of loud people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have plenty of extrovert friends, but, you know, it's it's just you. I should say plenty. I have a good a, a handful of good friends and some of them are extroverts. But, yeah, I love them just the same. But I need to come home and mm-hmm. be by myself. <laughs> calm mm-hmm. down. Everybody just calm down. The struggle is real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a, a lot of fun. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, if you have stories, cases, questions, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Yep.
We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.